Welcome to Africa Stories in the 55. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. Today we're going to talk to Naivo, a Malagasy writer, about his book Beyond the Rice Fields. It's an epic tale and the first novel from Madagascar to be translated to English. We spoke to Naivo about his novel and how he would describe it in his own words. The book is a historical novel. It's a poetry at the same time mixed with a love story, poetry that came from a traditional poetry called Ainting. And it was mixed with uh, history because I wanted the poetry to be put in context. And so the love story is part of that poetry because the Ainting is usually a dialogue between a man and a woman. In just a nutshell, uh, that's what the book is about. Beyond the Rice Fields is certainly epic, and I mean that in the full sense of the word. I mean, you have royalty, slavery. It's a huge cast of characters that take place during the 19th century in Madagascar. Can you tell us a little bit about that process? The book is set in, in the early 19th century. It's a time of upheaval in Madagascar, a time of turmoil, because it was uh, at that time that the European influence became really strong in the central part of the country. That was the time when the, uh, the British missionaries came for the first time in the highlands, which we call Imerna. Then they started doing their work of Christianization, building schools, evangelizing. And uh, also there were lots of things happening at the same time because the king Radama at that time he was a very ambitious king in the sense that he wanted to modernize his kingdom. So he allowed this flow of European influence to come into the highlands. And uh, that, unfortunately, created lots of problems. The main character, Sito, is a male slave. And in the novel, you really delve into how slaves were treated in Malagasy society. The question of slavery, yes, I did uh, lots of research on uh, slavery in Madagascar. And actually, Sito was not, uh, he, it was very bad for him at the beginning, right? Uh, because uh, he became a slave when the militaries from the Central Highlands attacked his village and basically massacred everyone. And he was uh, captured and brought into the Highlands to become a slave. And that was the, the worst part for him. And it was really hard, uh, as I described in the book. He was treated like an animal, beaten. Uh, but afterwards, because it's a coming-of-age novel in a sense, so I wanted the character to be able to grow, to be able to, to seize uh, his opportunity. So I put him in a household of women where he was not so badly treated. But in the same time, of course, I'm very aware that the, the conditions of the slave in general were, were very bad. So I, I maintained that tension about slavery uh, throughout the novel. You're taking a page from poetry, but one chapter will be Sito's point of view and his feelings. And the next chapter or another chapter would be by Farah, who is the young girl in the house that he resides in, who he falls in love with. The basic idea is the, this idea of poetry, the Hainting, the traditional poetry of Madagascar, or the highlands of Madagascar. So, as I said, it's a dialogue between a man and a woman. 
For example, the most beautiful haintain in Madagascar is about courtship. When a man tried to uh, seduce a woman, it works like a dialogue and even like, in a sense, like a fight, because it's, as we say in French, a joute de parole, like a duel. It's an exchange where the woman would challenge the man, and yeah, it's basically a dialogue. So that was the basic reason why I chose this narrative frame. And also, I wanted to give the way ordinary people saw, at least tried to give that, to describe the way ordinary people were uh, seeing their society and were perceiving the, the coming changes and were growing their imagination. So I wanted to do that for ordinary people. So this uh, love story really allowed me to give two different nuances of the way ordinary people uh, would see all these changes. Obviously, I was very interested in uh, the condition of slaves, but also I was very interested in the woman's imagination, because I, I think that women have more imagination than men. <laughs> and I was very interested in that. And uh, this setting of a dialogue between uh, Tito and Farah allowed me to do that. Farah's wooden ragdoll called Andrea Manoranzo, or The Lord Who Shows the True Way was his name. And it was made by her grandmother. And it has a little pocket filled with burial dirt within the doll's folds of its clothes. If there's one thing that I could point out to people who are interested in the book to see like the richness of the culture, that would definitely be, I mean, the detail down to the doll's pocket. It's, it's really something that was very uh, usual at the time and even today. To give you an example, many young Malagasy, when they go abroad, for example, for their studies, they first go to their ancestral tomb to collect burial dirt and put it in a little pocket and bring it with them so that it will allow them to never, uh, in a sense, lose the contact with the mother country. This is something that is really, really very common in Malagasy culture, and especially in terms of th this doll that was Farah's uh, doll. It was a toy. But at the same time, it had this dimension of magic because people at the time were uh, what you would call today superstitious, but it's not really superstition. It's, it's really this very close relation of everyday life and the supernatural world of the ancestors and God. For example, children had dolls, but adults would have what we would call samp or udi which are all these kinds of objects that you would carry with you and that there would be um, burial dirt inside and many kinds of things that are supposed to attract the hasna, to, to, to attract the, the blessing of the ancestors, you know, this kind of thing. So, yes, it's, it's, it's a very common thing, this, this detail that you mentioned. Because one of the major conflicts, as you said in the beginning, is religion and mm -hmm. the arrival of white people. It's interesting how Christianity really brings on death and destruction of parts of the culture because a number of people convert to Christianity. You can see that there was a lot of conflict. It's the clash of cultures, really. Yes, absolutely. Actually, it was a war. It was really like a war because they, they were fighting this fight between the Christians and, and the non-Christians, the people who held the, the traditional belief. But it was something funny because, in a sense, 
the European influence was actually never in question at the heights of the persecutions. When the Queen Ranavalna started persecuting the Christians, I mean, she, she was wearing uh, European clothes. She, she <laughs> the thing that was in question was not really the European influence, but it was their ideas that were threatening the existing order. The real fight, the real war was taking place in the villages between the traditional people and the Christianized people. But at the top of the society, in, in the circles of power, it was only, yeah, it was only about power. It was mainly about power, not to exaggerate, yes. There's a lot of detail into these, these sort of inquisitions um, because the royalty were trying to exact loyalty to their family. Between the water trials that you describe and the poisoning rituals, there were a lot of ways to die in Madagascar at that time. It was actually a kind of genocide because if you take, if you look at the numbers, during the reign of Ranavalna, between 150 and 200,000 people died, and that's on a population of 3 million people, so it's about 10% of the population. At the beginning, Ranavalna, the Queen Ranavalna, she continued the policy of her late husband, Radama, the one who opened the gates of the kingdom to the European influence. Soon she realized that some ideas, especially the, the ideas that were spread by the British missionaries in the schools, was uh, threatening to her power. So she backtracked, and that's when the persecution started. That's all the time we have today. Thanks for listening to Africa Stories in the 55. I'm Laura Angela Bagnetto. What are you reading? Let us know. Write to us at storiesinthe55 at rfi.fr. That's storiesinthe55 with 55 as numbers at rfi.fr. Goodbye. Goodbye.